0: At the movies. Hello one, hello all. My name's Bryony and you're listening to Marta's At The Movies. You find me right now still wondering who won Eurovision because I was away when it was on and I've somehow managed to avoid seeing anything about it on the internet. And I'm craving an adventure because of the last film I watched, Tim Burton's Wonderful Big Fish. When I'm not telling outrageously untrue stories about going fishing, I'm having a look through my overly long movie soundtracks playlists and organising them into top 10 lists. This episode, more than ever, has no real scientific formula behind the order in which I've placed the songs, so it's fitting that the lists are christened my highly subjective and probably inaccurate Top 10 Lists of the Week. Martes, Mar 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 Martes, at the movies. Last week, I talked about the best performances by fictional movie bands and choirs. But don't worry if you missed it, because you can head over to It's Just Bry on YouTube and listen to a playlist of all the songs featured in last week's episode. The only songs you won't find are these great ideas, which you guys told me that I missed a trick by not including. Sheila thought I should have included the very feline band Scat Cat and the Alley Cats, singing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat from the Aristocats. (laughs) Whilst Donal came up with probably my favourite suggestion so far in the podcast, the puppet choir from inside the little tourist information booth in Shrek, who sing the Welcome to Duloc song. Brilliant. Got a suggestion, idea, or thought that you'd like to be featured in next week's episode? Then get in touch with me. Let me know what songs you liked, disliked, and what songs I missed out on by tweeting me at it'sjustbry1, small caps, no spaces, digit one, or by hitting me up on the Martyrs at the Movies page on either Facebook or WordPress. Join me in this week's debate. We're talking about great songs featured in not-so-great movies. And now it's time for the highly subjective and probably inaccurate top ten list of the week. Now this is a subjective episode indeed, if ever a subjective episode I did see. Or, well, listen to. It's because it's got double the opinions. I'm defining what I think are good songs and what I think are not so good movies. Plenty of room for controversy here. To me, what a good song is, is pretty easily defined. Would I skip it or play it if it came on shuffle on my iPod? Accounting for mood, of course, I think I'd happily listen to all ten of these songs, and that's good enough for me. Defining finding a not-so-good movie proved a little bit more complicated, though. I haven't gone for the worst movies ever. B-movies, which crashed and burned, made no money, and are unfamiliar to all but the most dedicated of cinephiles. Instead, I've gone for big films, franchises, blockbusters, ones that you've probably heard of. Some of them are even bearable. I got the whole way through a couple. They maybe even have some good bits in them. But by and large, they're horrible sequels. <laughs> Remakes or adaptations that should never have seen the light of day, and clearly made it to the silver screen not based on the pure and honest desire to artistically create something, but on the desire to get all the dollar possible. The point is, they're not good enough for these songs. Someone, that somewhere, got the budget wrong and gave too much money to acquiring song rights instead of screenwriters, and thus they created this divide in quality between music and material. These are my top 10 good songs, which feature in not-so-good movies. <laughs> Let's talk Hasbro's most popular and most lucrative toys, Transformers. I remember being more than a little reluctant to watch the first Transformers movie when my brother suggested it, and then actually being really surprised by how much I enjoyed it, particularly the comedy that's laced in amidst all the fighting Autobots and Decepticons. The problem with all the Transformers sequels that I've seen, however, is that Michael Bay tries to out-Michael Bay himself more and more every time. More explosions, less subtlety, more robots, longer running time, just leaving me tired and with very little idea of who is fighting who. I can only just tell which one is Optimus Prime, even though I have an Optimus Prime toil, and so I see a picture of him every single day. Not sure whether that reflects worse on my lack of attention to detail or on the makers of this film. But either way, it simply isn't good enough for Linkin Park's New Divide. So give me As a teenager in the noughties, Linkin Park was everyone's favourite rock band, because we were all cool and sophisticated like that, and they pulled out a cracker of a song with this one. I really like New Divide, and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, aka Transformers 2, just doesn't cut the mustard. <laughs> I'm all about the cliches today, apparently, but then again, so is all the dialogue in Transformers. Way! No, no, no. This one is painful for me because it's an affront on both my childhood and on a song which I adore. It's from the 2005 film adaptation of the old French and then the British TV show The Magic Roundabout, which my mum, if I'm not mistaken, was a fan of, so I grew up reading all her old books which accompanied the show and getting to know the characters that way. I particularly remember a comic strip in which Dougal, the dog, learns that pride comes before a fall with a nasty dip in the water whilst ice skating. So that's an insight into my formative years for you all. The show was stop motion, very quaint, and it became a cult favorite to the extent that adults complained when it got moved to an earlier kids time slot. Then they made a computer-generated movie adaptation, wasn't so great, and to make matters worse, the amazing song Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra got subjected to the humiliation of featuring in the film. All the That wouldn't have been so bad by itself. Sure, the computer animated look doesn't have the same special nostalgic feel for me that stop motion does. But the film wasn't a disaster. Till they took it to America, that is. Recast all the British voice actors with American ones. Changed the name. Added awkward pop culture references and fart jokes. And it completely tanked. 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm pretty sure no one wants to remember it. Gonna assume that Electric Light Orchestra are amongst those people. Hey, hey. Let's talk about a franchise which really should have stopped a long time ago while it was still at the top of its game. Shrek. The first two Shrek movies are brilliant and I won't hear a word against them. Third one? Not so great. Everyone's thinking it's a good thing they're stopping at a trilogy, they're wrapping it all up. But of course you gotta milk a cash cow for all it's worth, so we got Shrek Forever After. Which I think made me laugh once in the entire movie. Shrek can probably get any song at once by this point. So no surprise that this worse than mediocre entry in the franchise featured some absolute tunes, amongst them Lionel Richie's Hello. Hello. Is it me you looking for? I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your smile. I think the biggest sin of the fourth Shrek movie is that there was no real reason for it to exist. And it seemed like the screenwriters were scraping the bottom of the barrel in trying to find some other way to make Shrek hate or regret his life because he's scared of assuming responsibility for something or the other and then by the end of the movie he learns a valuable lesson about loving his family, friends and his life. Sound familiar? That's because it feels like it's now the plot of every Shrek movie because that's all they can think of to do. And Lionel Richie's sublime tune, Hello, deserves better than that. Like that time Rachel and Jesse sang it in Glee. Yes, I watched Glee. Stop judging me. It was good in its prime. Much like Shrek. <laughs> seven, seven. This one makes it onto the list, not for being atrocious, but because of being a personal disappointment for me. Because I was quite looking forward to seeing it, and it just didn't deliver. It's called Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and it's about these two teenagers who get to know each other after travelling around New York City for a whole night, searching for a secret show that their favourite band is supposedly playing that night. And they do it to the background of an admittedly brilliant soundtrack. Particularly to my mind, because it includes a song that I love called After Hours by a band that I love called We Are Scientists. The problem that this film has is that it really, really wants to be alternative and hip and relevant and show that it's not like all those other cookie cutter teenage romance films out there. Because look, it's at night and it's about faux, hipster, wannabe teenagers set to some great music. It just all falls a bit flat. To me, it never seems as cool as it thinks it is. In animal terms, it's like it wants to be a cat, being all assertive on its own terms, content to be cool because it's being itself but it's more like a dog like clawing at you, desperately being like, notice me, acknowledge me, tell me that I'm cool. Perhaps that's a bit harsh, but I just see it as a shame because the music's ace, the concept's is, but the film which I had in my head when I saw the trailer was just so much better than the film which I saw on screen. Six, six. This next song is beautiful. Overplayed and a bit sentimental, yes, but beautiful. It's called What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. It's great and I know it can be used to good effect in movies. I'm particularly here thinking of Madeline, one of my favourite childhood movies, which closes to this song. And that's fine, I'm OK with that. In fact, it's the exact opposite of how I feel about Stephen Bishop covering this song and it being featured on the soundtrack of the abomination of the movie that is Son of the Mask. I see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue. So Son of the Mask is the sequel to The Mask, in which Jim Carrey finds a mask belonging to Loki, the Norse god of mischief, and it turns him into this yellow-suited, green-faced trickster guy that you sometimes see people dressed up as for Halloween. It got pretty good reviews. It was nominated for some Oscars and some Golden Globes. Eleven years on... Kerry and all other intelligent actors declined to come back for the sequel, which got a whopping 6% on Rotten Tomatoes, alongside the Sterling Review, which says that no doubt extensive market research shows that there's an audience out there for movies like Son of the Mask, but it's too depressing to speculate who that might be. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I do feel sorry for the audience of this film. After less than a minute, I stopped watching the trailer because it was just woefully unfunny and there are few things which are as painful as unfunny comedies. Plus, any film featuring the character of Loki, in which Loki is played by anyone other than Tom Hiddleston, is not a wonderful world in my eyes, and thus cannot possibly have any good reason to misuse that great song. This film is not the worst thing ever, or a horrible offence against humankind, I just find it wearying. It's the 2011 film version of The Smurfs, which takes the fairly lovable TV show and turns it into just a mind-numbingly boring computer-generated adventure for the gang. It makes me sleepy and a bit irritated because of the need to smurf the word smurf into every smurfing sentence. Literally, it feels like at some point the director said, like, Right everyone, Smurf up now. So the screenwriter's finished, but our Smurf doesn't include the word Smurf enough, so maybe in cinemas the Smurf watching it won't remember which franchise this is, and the only Smurf I can think of to help them remember this is to ram the word Smurfed on their Smurfs at every possible opportunity. Oh, I feel emotionally drained just thinking about it. Then there's the fact that a band that I highly like and respect, Vampire Weekend, Smurfed their song Holiday to be used in the film. Right. the film a bit aggressively uninteresting and pretty charmless, which one could argue are two major flaws in, well, any film. And Vampire Weekend are the opposite. They've won Grammys, NME Awards, Q Awards. The best that the Smurf franchise could do is get nominated for a Razzie, the awards ceremony that celebrates the worst Hollywood has to offer. It didn't even win that, it wasn't even bad enough for that, it was just bleh. Up next is a film so truly awful, That it caused Dr. Zeus's widow, Audrey Geisel, she's the owner of his works and his estate, to forbid any further live-action adaptations of his books. That's how bad it was. I'm talking of course about Mike Myers as The Cat in the Hat, a film which, to add insult to injury, took a great Beatles song called Getting Better, made Smashmouth sing it, and then chucked that into the movie. It. Better. Better. So much better all the time. Lennon and McCartney, Dr. Zeus himself, and just about everyone involved was out better than this horrible film. The production design and the whole crazy, zeusical world of the film is wonderful, and that's about the only thing it's got going for it. It's really bad! I wasn't involved in making it and I almost want to apologise for its existence. I do need to apologise to my brother and sister, however, for driving them to madness the night that we watched this film, a good ten years ago, when I insisted on replaying and replaying the Cat in the Hat dance-along bonus feature on the DVD for a good two hours while we waited for our parents to pick us up from a family friend's house. Sorry. They say you should dance your cares away though, right? And after watching this film, I think it's fair to say I needed it. (laughs) 3 3 Let's talk sparkly vampires Now, I am by no means a Twilight heater. I want to make that clear at the offset Did I, as a teenager, read all of the books about 5 times and pester everyone I knew to go see the first film with me and eventually end up going with my mum because no one would come with me? Yes Did I go to the midnight screening of the second Twilight film, New Moon? Also, yes <laughs> Am I a little embarrassed to be admitting this now? that's another yes. The point is, don't view me as someone who hates Twilight just because it's cool to do so. I have a big soft spot for it. However, I think we can all agree that the Twilight saga Breaking Dawn Part 1, to give it its full, very long name, was not the series' strongest point and shouldn't have got the excellent soundtrack that it has, in particular the wonderfully romantic lead single A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. I know this song is soppy, but I really like it. And to be honest, I've chosen it because it's the one song that everyone knows, the one that, from this album that made it into the charts. But the Twilight soundtracks in general feature great artists from The Black Keys to Sia, Vampire Weekend and Muse, the band that Stephanie Meyer claimed always inspired her writing. You decide if Muse deserve to be praised or hated for their role in the writing of these books. The thing is, this film in particular just isn't very good. First off, there's the unsurprising but highly annoying decision to split the last book into two films. Thanks, Harry Potter, for that trend. Which, of course, it doesn't need in any way. Nothing happens in this film except ridiculous amounts of melodrama, because all the action's saved for part two. Then there's just some really bad directing decisions. In fact, if you want a good laugh, then Google Breaking Dawn part one, Wolfpack meeting. The series' low point which made me howl with derisive laughter in the cinema at a point which is meant to be tense and serious. Doesn't come close to deserving that song. Two, two. I saw George Clooney on the Graham Norton show the other day, and Norton asked him if it was true that he apologised to the crowds at Comic-Con for having been in the film Batman and Robin. Clooney's response? I always apologise for Batman and Robin. Nearly 20 years on, is still one of the most mocked and derided films in cinema history, and the best part of the movie is probably the fact that it features the song The End is the Beginning is the End by the Smashing Pumpkins. Bless the Smashing Pumpkins' little hearts. For my generation, getting asked to contribute a song to the Batman soundtrack would be a massive compliment and an exciting opportunity. But then for us, Batman is the brooding Christian Bale in Christopher Nolan's wonderful, dark, emblematic Dark Knight trilogy films. And comic book films have never been cooler. I find it kind of hard to imagine a time in which comic book movies weren't raking in the millions. But then I remember this film. And I think that, yeah, it's probably at least in part due to Batman and Robin that the genre took a slump for a good period of time. You've got to see it to believe it. Pitiful. One, one. There had to be at least one on the list. Actually, I restrained myself quite a lot in only including one. I'm sure he's a lovely man, and Happy Gilmore was alright, but those who know my taste in films will tell you I'm not the biggest fan of the comedic stylings of Adam Sandler. Throughout his career of, to my mind anyway, some excruciatingly bad so called comedies and rom coms, many good songs have been butchered. But few of his movies manage it quite so successfully as 2011's Just Go With It, the soundtrack to which is absolutely chock full of horrible mashups of good songs, such as this one, Every Car You Chase. For the uninitiated amongst you, this is a mixture of the police's classic stalker song Every Breath You Take and Chasing Cars by Northern Ireland's very own Golden Boys, Snow Patrol. Thus it's double the crime. Sandler and co have taken two good songs, smushed them together to form this weird hybrid monster song and then they've placed it in the middle of a rubbish movie. Horrendous. Plus, the inclusion of Snow Patrol makes it a touchier subject than it would otherwise be for me. In our wee country, nor an iron, we're very proud of any of our 1,800,000 people who make it big. And so to see Snow Patrol treated in this way is the yucky icing on a rotten cake. Martes at the movies. And there you have it. Ten good songs which did not deserve the suffering and turmoil they had to go to in these ten not very good movies. What did you think? What songs did I miss out on? What songs did you like? What songs did you dislike? Tweet me at itsjustbrow1 or Facebook and WordPress me at martisatthemovies at the Movies. Next week, we're talking about the 10 most romantic serenade moments in movie history. So buy yourself some red roses and light some candles in preparation for that. Until then, may the force be with you, the odds be ever in your favour, and I'll see you next Martis.